What does a space marine do when you're fighting and you need to go to the bathroom? Battle in in your armored suit and you let something go that you hope is a dude, yeah. I suppose that I'll never know. And don't you worry, it's not part of the show. I would like the singing to stop, so go online and buy a t-shirt from the shop. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Ineptus' Stardust. Ned here. I've got my tea in one hand and a stack of notes in the other ready to give you some fantastic Horus Heresy content. Uh, hope you liked the song at the start. That was for all of you. As I said in the last episode, the singing will stop when we reach our t-shirt sales goal for the Adepticon and David Coleman little fundraiser. Link is going to be in the comments as always, but you know, similar to the old saying, the beatings will continue until morale improves, the singing will continue until t-shirts are sold. So anyway, let's get into it. Now, don't get too terribly excited about this weekly thing, but I got a couple listener questions that I thought were too good to ignore, and so I just absolutely had to record something else. So first off, one of my friends asked, why is my dog always hanging out when I record? Well, that's a great question. So first of all, like probably a lot of you, I am a... I'm a hobby dad, and I don't really get a chance to record anything or hobby until most of the family is asleep. In particular, recording waits until like everyone is dead asleep because then it's less noisy. I don't really have like a recording space. This is a, a kitchen counter or dining room table sort of podcast, so to speak. So anyway, my co-pilot, Hazel, is always hanging out. And uh, she is tonight as well. If you hear this, it's something that was recorded likely after midnight. And right now it's 1.20. And um, that's just the way it works over here, man. You know, we do what we have to do to get the things done that we want done. But I'm having a really good time. This is episode 7. We've been doing this for, you know, took a big break in the fall. But I'm really hoping to continue on regularly providing this content. So all of you should get used to hearing a lot about Hazel the dog as we continue on with this. The next is a bit of a clarification thanks to something that was picked up by a friend of the show, Jeremy. We were looking at the rules and he was listening to the last minisode and I was talking about jet bikes and pointed out that I was incorrect in something that I said about the jet bike survivability. So jet bikes are anti-grav cavalry and they cannot benefit from cover at ever, at any point. However, and my, my, uh, my statement was then that that also interacted with the evade reaction, which isn't technically wrong, but also isn't right. So if you look through the main books and for any instance of the evade or shrouded rules that you can get, basically all of those rule situations have rules that say if it would ignore cover, it also ignores shroud. However... Shroud is itself a damage mitigation role and not a cover save. So while effects that ignore cover typically also ignore Shroud, Shroud is classified as an and also this. So jet bikes can in fact evade and gain Shroud if they choose to. Um, that was just a, a brain, brain burp on my part. But thank you very much for that note, and that's really good to know. Makes the jet bikes even a little bit better. Probably worth it then, you know, if you've got a bigger squad to can actually consider using a reaction to try to keep those jet bikes alive. Or also, 
you know, uh, land speeders, as someone else pointed out. Perfect timing, too, is we get to see those sleek new jet bikes that are coming out in plastic. Probably guessing around $60 a box or so for three, which makes them considerably cheaper than the Forge World ones anyway. So definitely something to think about as you're looking ahead. I'm curious what everyone thinks about the Mark VI. I, I probably would not leave the beaks on them. Well, for the forces that I'm going to use, but still. Looks like Mark VI is the way to go in the future. Next up, we have a question from a listener who's curious about building an Iron Hands list, which is a bold move to send to this podcast considering the amount of time that I've spent bashing on Ferris Manus. But bravo to you, fair listener. So uh, the question involves building a list and the person wants help with either Fury of the Ancients or maybe Armored Spearhead. They really like tanks. They really like dreadnoughts. So let's just take a look at that and see what we can come up with. So I'm naturally, uh, obviously, on this podcast, I've talked about it. I'm not a huge fan of the Fury of the Ancients Rite of War, the state of contemptors in this edition, but I did go ahead and take a look at the list. Here were my concerns. So contemptors are already really strong. Uh, Iron Hands contemptors are going to get an excellent boon out of the Legion trait, the Medusa's Scales. So this is all shooting attacks made against a model with this special rule that does not have the vehicle unit type, suffer a modifier of minus one to the strength of the attack. Models with the special rule and vehicle instead gain, it will not die six plus, which is pretty cool. Or if such a model already has a variant of it will not die, then it's increased by plus one. So if, if you are able to get it in addition, then it goes up to a five plus, which the Iron Hands can do, so that's important to note. So a bunch of Contemptor Dreadnoughts and, you know, Leviathans, whatever, uh, running around with a minus one strength towards attacks coming in towards them. Uh, it, it, dreadnoughts can already be very oppressive very easily. Um, putting together a whole list of that, I, you know, I wasn't a big fan. I played around with it a little bit, you know. I went with the minimum. I went with three Dreadnoughts because that is the smallest number of Dreadnoughts that you can run in a Fury of the Ancients list. Um, but then I was stymied in a couple of other different ways. So the Fury of the Ancients list is further inhibiting if you're trying to do something less obnoxious with it because of the design. So we'll do a quick recap of the Fury of the Ancients Rite of War. In this attachment, Legion Contemptor Dreadnought Talons are troop choices, and they gain line. A single Contemptor Dreadnought Talon composing of one model must be selected as the, the detachment's compulsory HQ choice. A Legion Contemptor Dreadnought Talon selected in this manner must take the Venerable Ancient upgrade for 30 points. And what that does is it gives the character, Master of the Legion, and Eternal Warrior special rule and an Iron Halo. Uh, it can't take a Command Squad, etc. In, in addition, it must be selected as the Warlord of an army that includes it. So this has to be the Warlord. Now what's interesting here is that um, it does not specify a specific Warlord trait, so you can still select among your different Warlord traits whatever you want to choose. It doesn't give you one. This is the Venerable Ancient upgrade, so you still have that option. There's a ton of limitations, though. All compulsory troops must be Legion Contemptor Dreadnoughts. No, there are uh, much. There, you've got a lot less choices for HQ choices. You can choose between for your other slots a Legion Forge Lord, Primus Medicae, or Mortificator. So um, you can still take Praetors, but those are the only Centurion options that you can take. 
A detachment using this Pride of War can only have a single fast attack or heavy support slot choice that isn't Dreadnoughts. They can't have a fortification, they can't have Lords of War, and it may only be selected for a primary detachment, and then it can't roll to seize the initiative. That, you know, some of that's not a big deal, but there are a couple things that are a big deal. So you're obviously incentivized into taking Dreadnoughts, which is fine, that's the whole point of the, the right. But then when you take a look at some of this other stuff, you are prevented from filling out your list with other things in the fast attack and the heavy support spot. So let's talk design here. What does this do? Well, it kind of prevents you from like just trying to take Dreadnoughts as troops, essentially, and then just building whatever crazy list you wanted to on top of that, which is good. But for our case, when we're trying to build a list that isn't super oppressive, it means that we're kind of pigeonholing ourselves into where we can put our other points in as opposed to just more dreadnoughts only a single fast attack choice and only a single heavy support choice that again isn't more dreadnoughts that being said i did go ahead and put together a list that i i, I don't know i i'm not a huge fan of it myself honestly i quit halfway through because i got sad about thinking about how it might be too strong or it might just be kind of boring but here we go um, first of all, of course, we got the Venerable Ancient Contemptor Dreadnought. This is a Iron Hands list, so we're going to go ahead and take the Chain Fist on one hand, regular Power Fist on the other, and then two Graviton Shredders, which are special those special Graviton weapons that the Iron Hands get access to. We're also going to take a Forge Lord as a, an additional HQ choice. They're going to have a Cyber Familiar, they will have a Thunder Hammer, and they'll be in the Cataphractic Armor. I think I said that. So for elite choices, we are going with... We'll go to the troops first. We're going to have two more Dreadnoughts. Um, both of them will be a little bit different. One of them is going to have a Melta, Multi-Melta, and the other one is going to have an Autocannon. <clears throat> uh, the other ones... Each of them will have a Fist, of course. One of them will have a Chain Fist. Put the Chain Fist with the Melted Dread and the regular Fist with the Autocannon Dread. And then we will have two Tactical Squads in Rhinos with Multi-Meltas, Dozer Blades, and Blessed Auto Simulacra, which is the war gear that, and I kind of mentioned this before, it adds one to your It Will Not Die special rule. So these are Iron Hands vehicles. They already have a 6-plus because of Medusa's scales. Now they've got a 5-plus. So you got a Rhino with a 5-plus. It will not die. Kind of dumb? Yeah, it's kind of dumb. It's also kind of fun. It's only 10 points. Whatever. So then, for heavy support slot, I went ahead with a 10-man last cannon squad, as you might normally expect. And then I added a Gorgon Terminator squad. I put them in a Spartan. There's seven of them total. A couple of them have power fists, the rest have uh, power axes, and then you've got the hammer bearer. Then I gave, I utilized the fact that we've got the Forge Lord in here to give this the the list two squads of six Thalax with two multi-meltas each and multi-bombs, and those are 316-point squads of six. So this is, the list right now is sitting at about 2,700 points. And there's still 300 points to go. And, you know, you could add kind of whatever you were thinking beyond that point. Now, I, I'm i still not, like, a super huge fan of this. It, it does have a good number of tanks. You know, you could use that last 300 points to add something else. But I still just feel dirty playing Fury of the Ancients. So, 
I went ahead and built you a second list. So this is a list for the Armored Spearhead Rite of War, which I think is still potentially very powerful. It's still going to utilize the fact that we have a lot of armor on our side, and so an opponent will be pressing themselves to try to find a way to get through all your armor. But here we go. So first off, the in this one, in this Rite of War, we must have an either a Predator or a Sakaran tank as our Warlord, and I went ahead and picked the Sakaran because they're sweet. I went ahead and left them as base as far as weapons with their standard standard autocannon and the heavy bolters on the side, but I did give them some special upgrades. So I went ahead and gave it the Blessed Auto Simulacra, but I also gave it the Armatus Necrotechnica, which is a fun, fun thing to say. So any of you Iron Hands players out there, you have to let me know what you think about this, because I think this is potentially really cool, but also potentially really lame. So any one model with the vehicle unit type in the detachment that does not have the flyer subtype can be upgraded to have the Armatus Necrotechnica for 50 points. And then whenever a unit, friendly or enemy, with at least one model within six inches of this model dies, then roll a d6 for each model removed as a casualty. For each result of a six, the model with this upgrade regains a hull point. You can't get higher than you're starting, of course, but you can heal yourself up. Oh, in addition, any unit with at least one model within six inches must reduce the leadership value of all models in that unit by one. Units with a stubborn rule may not ignore this modifier. So it's 50 points, and you are reducing even your own your own model's leadership by one, regardless, regardless of whether or not anything else is happening to them. But it does give you some interesting option to like put a couple tactical squads around an important tank and then feed it healing wounds, especially if you're going to give them the Blessed Odyssey Malacra. I mean, it's 60 points, but it's kind of silly fun. But anyway, so the Sakaran has those things. And then we're also going to take basically the same Forge Lord that we did before, Cataphracti Armor. And just like before, they're going to join up with the Gorgon Terminators in the Spartan, similar to what we had from the last list. Then after that, we get to the Troops Choice. So part of this Rite of War, the Armored Spearhead, well, there's two things that are important to note at this point, at this juncture. You can take Predators as troops, but they do not get line, so they are not scoring troops, but you can take them. In addition to that, any unit that would be eligible to take a Rhino Transport, they can instead choose to take a Land Raider Proteus Carrier. They just still have to number 10 models or less. So this list is also going to include 30 Tactical Marines in three squads. Two of those squads are going to be in Rhinos with Multimeltas and a Dozer Blade, and the third one is going to be in a Land Raider Proteus, and those Tactical Marines are also going to be given Chainswords. So they can hop out, use the Assault Vehicle, and Chainsword into something. So Yahoo! On top of that, then, we've got two more additions to round out this list. One is a Kratos Squadron Tank. Now, I went ahead and left the weapons pretty much as is as the stock price for this. I have said before that I don't know... The, the Kratos is a fun model, and it's an interesting tank, but it's a point sink, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be able to always make its points back. 
It can be pretty durable though, especially when put in the iron hands with the extra ability to have a little bit of feel no pain coming its way. Um, so we are going to give it uh, the Blessed Auto Simulacra and the Flare Shield. But you can choose what kind of weapons you want to put on it. I went ahead with Volkite mostly because I think Volkite's cool, but flavor to your choice. The last thing of the list, the last addition to the list, is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately and just wanting to have one. We're putting a Fellblade in here, man. 650 points of pure awesome. Bring on the big tanks. If you're going to play a Legion like the Iron Hands, who basically can't bring their Primarch, then absolutely you want, you want to have a cool Lord of War tank to throw down in the middle of the table. For those who are wondering why one matters over the other, Primarchs and Lords of War both go in the same category for a 25% rule. Basically, only 25% of your total points in your list can be one of these models or all of these models combined. Otherwise, the list is illegal. So if you're bringing a 400-point Primarch, you're definitely not bringing a Lord of War as well. So Fellblade, come on over. I really like this list for a number of reasons. One is that it's going to give this listener a lot of iron, a lot of armor on the table, and it's going to look really cool. But it's still going to rely heavily on there will be enough bodies on the table on his side as far as models on the board so that you don't feel like you're you put you're putting nothing out there the other thing is that if you're going to put a list out that's really heavily armored and you're thinking either dreadnoughts or you're thinking uh, armored spearhead i think this is the list which is more friendly there's still a lot of armor to punch through here but you know you're you've got only three scoring troops you know you could tweak things around here you could utilize um, put in the Thalax or something, take out, I don't know, one of the tactical squads if you wished, or uh, maybe get rid of the Kratos or whatever if you wished, and adjust that. But I think this is a fun list, and I think it would be one that you wouldn't necessarily feel about pulling out on a friendly game day. So one other thing that could be an addition to this list, if you choose to do so, is that there is a supplement that has come out of fan-created rules called the Legio Panoptica, and the Legio Panoptica group has put out a very lengthy FAQ and a whole bunch of units that you can choose to add to your gaming experience if you wish. So they've done a lot of work here and in their Liber Centura book, one of the characters that I'll point you to is, a, is an Iron Hands character called Casterman Orth, who was a character who in book two of uh, the original Horus Heresy Black books, this was a Spearhead Centurion who was tasked with going off after Fulgrim leading the armored divisions. And uh, he rode around in a Fellblade, and then I think later he got into... His Fellblade was destroyed, and he just hopped in with somebody else. But anyway, he's like a tank commander character. He only has power armor. Um, he doesn't really have that much... He has no interesting war gear whatsoever. A mastercrafted power maul. But... What you do is you assign him to a vehicle or a super heavy in the detachment. It has to have a front armor of at least 13, so no hopping him in a rhino. The rules here, interestingly, and I like this, while embarked this way, Casterman Orth must be physically modeled on the tank. <laughs> so you, they're like, you got to make him, he's got to be, he's the guy hanging out there. Um, come closer so I can hit them with my sword, or in this case, my Mastercrafted Power Maul. He doesn't take up transport capacity. 
and can only get out if the vehicle is immobilized or destroyed. Otherwise, he's just, you know, treated as a transported model if the vehicle is destroyed. When he's in the vehicle, the vehicle gets to use his ballistic skill 5 and gets to add one strength to a single battle weapon that he's armed with. And his warlord trait is that a plus one to the vehicle damage table when making shooting or ramming attacks. It also says specifically that if he is placed in an armored spearhead, it overwrites the rule to uh, of how the warlord works before, and he becomes the war warlord. Now, he's 85 points. He does a lot for 85 points. He might be a little bit too cheap. But, you know, the, this is a thing that would be fun and flavorful. And honestly, if I was doing an Iron Hands list, I'd probably model someone like this onto my, I don't know, Fellblade maybe. I've got this hilarious idea of putting him into a uh, Land Raider Achilles. I think that'd be really fun too. But regardless, it's something to do model-wise, even if you don't necessarily, even if you don't necessarily use these rules. A couple of quick addendums to talk about for this list and then, you know, other possible lists you might want to run. First of all, something that I neglected to pay attention to was the types of Terminator armor that you have access to as an Iron Hands player and how they're different and how you really actually need to pay a little bit more attention to those than I did. Uh, in the example, I gave the Forge Lord Cataphracti armor, which is fine because that's a 4 plus save that goes up to a 3 plus. That's all well and good. But... In the example there, I put him with the Gorgon Terminators. And the Gorgon Terminators have a special plate of armor, which is essentially Indomitus plate, but it has some extra added benefits. First of all, it's a 2-plus save, just like Cataphracti. It only gets a 5-plus invulnerable save, but they also automatically get a 5-plus feel no pain. And you can swap out characters from uh, Cataphracti armor into this Gorgon armor if you wish at no additional point cost. And honestly, if you were going to put them with Gorgons, you're probably going to want to make this character also wearing that same mark of armor. So in addition to the 5 plus feel of pain, the invulnerable save, they also get a special rule at the end of any phase in which a model with Gorgon Terminator armor has passed at least one armor or invulnerable save. Roll a d6 on a roll of a 4 plus all enemy units with at least one model within 6 inches of the Terminators. Uh, act as if they've been hit by a model with the blind special rule, which is an initiative test. Initiative tests, for those who can't remember, uh, you roll your the model, I'm sorry, you, to, to take the unit, pick the highest initiative uh, score in that unit, roll a dice, and if you get equal to or under it, then you pass. And if you fail, then you uh, are blinded, and then blind has the effect of causing the unit to be considered weapon skill and ballistic skill one until the end of their next turn. So that's a really, really great effect. The important thing is that the blind will not affect the Iron Hands player as long as everything in that squad has that armor. However, rules as written, if you've got a character in there who has cataphracti armor, then the squad is theoretically no longer protected, and so then you got to test for blinding yourself. So that's obviously going to be a little bit of a problem. And if you really want to put that Centurion into Cataphracti armor, then perhaps another option for a Terminator Escort squad has shown up. So just this week we got the uh, last exemplary battle, and in it there were rules for the Iron Hands Morlock Terminator squad. Ah.
And these are definitely intriguing and definitely look thinking worth. And these are definitely intriguing and definitely worth. And these are definitely intriguing, definitely worth thinking about. So to start off, uh, a couple things that are unusual about these Terminators. First of all, they are an HQ squad. They count as an HQ squad. They have a special rule that allows them to be taken as a retinue instead. If there is someone in your army that has the uh, Pride of the Legion rule. So if you have a Praetor, you can just attach these to them and they won't necessarily take up a squad spot, uh, a slot on your roster, so to speak. Base, they are 150 points, which is the same points as five Tartaros Terminators. But instead, they or there's only three of them. They do have weapon skill 5. Other than that, they have the standard Terminator stat line with the Sergeant equivalent, which is an Augmenter, having leadership 9, and the others having leadership 8. Now, they have a Combi Bolter and a Power Weapon, as you would expect, and they are in Cataphracti armor, but they've got some interesting rules which are really, really worth exploring. <sighs> so first of all, uh, they are heavy, as you would expect. They have Relentless and Stubborn, Bulky 2, they're Loyalists only, but most intriguing is that they are Battle Hardened. Battle Hardened is an ability that effectively ups your toughness by one for the sake of determining instant death. Most importantly here, that means that Thunder Hammers wielded by other Space Marines will not instant kill these models. So, in a standard situation, when you've got Thunderhammer Terminator or Thunderhammer anything versus a Terminator, even if you have a Cataphracti Terminator, you need to make two saves for every one wound because Brutal 2 makes you double up the number of wounds you need to save. An Iron Hands Morlock Terminator with a base of two wounds only needs to make one of those two saves to survive that one swing. Now, that that's huge because Thunderhammers are a big, big damage uh, output sourced in in the game right now and so thinking about this it, it's a huge deal now the squad can add additional members beyond three but it's capped at only two more for 35 points so the biggest squad you can get is five their dedicated transport options is that they can take a land raider proteus uh, again it doesn't use a force org chart all the standard dedicated transport rules they cannot take a Spartan as a dedicated transport, which makes sense. There's at most five of them. One Morlock can exchange their Combi Bolter for a Legion Standard for 20 points. So essentially, you can just turn this into a command squad. Or more importantly, you can just turn this into a line unit, an HQ unit that's going to score. Now, we're talking about the Herald <laughs> later, and... Um, That'll be something important to remember when we're talking about the Herald, because here's a squad that does kind of the same thing with a bunch of other rules stacked into it. One Nuncio Vox can... Oh, I'm sorry. One Warlock... One... One Morlock can take a Nuncio Vox for 10 points. One of them can also take an Augury Scanner for 10 points. They don't get a Vexilla, but that's because you get the option for the Legion Standard, so that makes sense. Any of them can exchange their power weapon for a power fist for 10 points, a lightning claw for 5, or a chain fist for 15 points. Notably, no option for a thunder hammer on these, which probably is okay, because given how tough they are, if you gave them perhaps the best offensive weapon that a Terminator can carry in the game, plus their battle hardened and whatever else, it might make them really silly. 
10 points for a power fist, though, on this squad, probably worth considering. In addition, any model can exchange their combi bolter for a Volkite Charger for free, which is cool, or a Graviton gun for 10 points each. In addition, the Augmenter can exchange their combi bolter for a Volkite Culverin for 10 points. That is so hilarious and cool that I think I might have to do that if I were using this squad. A Volkite Culverin on the boss? If I don't instead decide just to put a whole bunch of grav guns on here, I think that's what I would do. Okay, couple things about this squad. One, Battle Hardened makes them very, very hardy and very, very effective. When you match Battle Hardened 1 with the Iron Hands Legion trait for infantry, you're reducing the strength, effective strength of any incoming shots by 1, and you're also raising their toughness by 1, so that their instant death threshold is higher. This effectively means that you need to have a strength 11 or higher gun to instant kill one of these models. A strength 10 gun effectively becomes strength 9, and a strength 9 does not double out the battle-hardened ones equivalent of 5. These guys are really, really tough to kill. 2. Because they've got a 4-plus invulnerable save, as mentioned before, they are much, much, much tougher against Thunder Hammers, or any other things that would normally squash Terminator equivalents. The one thing that you might still be afraid of, of course, Dreadnoughts. They're Brutal 3. They're still going to have an opportunity to do whatever they want to Terminator whatevers. They're Weapon Skill 5, so the Contemptor is only going to hit them on a 4+, which is good, but it's only a 5-man squad, so they're still susceptible to getting squished this way. But... You can give them Graviton Guns, and Grav becomes one of the best ways to defend against Contemptors in this edition. Grav and Haywire basically means if you hit on a 2 or higher, you are inflicting a wound. Because sometimes, a lot of times, um, you know, it goes right to a, a wound, and they have, the Contemptor sometimes can't even attempt an invulnerable save. It's a really effective way to do things. This unit is really, really excellent. The, the tax by putting it in an HQ squad is a little rough, but... If you want to run a character in uh, Cataphracti armor and you're looking for someone to escort them in a Land Raider, you know, a Land Raider just has that perfect spot for one more character. It'd be great. A Primus Medicaid in Cataphracti armor would make these things really tough. Uh, the Forge Lord that I described before, it'd be a really great escort unit for them. And uh, it's just a really fun unit. I would like to say one more time that this is an additional unit added specifically by GW. So, I mean, I've already seen posts saying these things are going to be legal at LVO, they're legal at, at Adepticon, all that good stuff, because they are official sanctioned rules, even if they are sort of an addition onto things. I think it's a reminder and a good point to uh, note that the character that I talked about earlier, the little dude on the tank, that's not an official rule in case you were sort of modeling or painting or whatever when I said that before. Those are fan-made rules for the Panoptica team, and they're not necessarily going to be legal wherever you play, and it's definitely something you should talk about with your opponent. However, that does allow us to transition to an additional topic, which is that of fan rules. I've had a couple people ask me about house rules, and what house rules my group uses, and what house rules should be used. There's a lot of people who are curious about what sort of house ruling will go on for tournaments uh, at LVO, at Adepticon. I think it's important to note that at this point, it seems like a lot of the community, the, t the, the tournament, well not tournament, the convention community, is basically saying they're not interested in trying any of these fan rules because the game is so new and they, they want to see what happens first. Uh, 
Now, that being said, that's the convention uh, circuit because, well, there's a very good reason why they want to do that. So first of all, people who come to conventions sometimes don't necessarily get a chance to get involved in the game. There's a lot of people that I met at Adepticon when I went last who basically they got to play five games of Heresy that weekend, and that was maybe more than half or three quarters of the games they were going to play all year long. Okay, Some people don't have regular gaming clubs. They don't have people they can see regularly. They just take this trip to meet new people, and so they don't get to interact with the rules of the game as regularly as people like me who are lucky enough to have the time and a friend down the street so that I can get games in. So not everybody is going to want to spend a ton of time researching a bunch of new rules. And one thing to talk about with the Panoptica stuff, they put out a ton of content and they're still working. They regularly update their lists, they provide updates, they're working on their Xenos projects now so that people can play Great Crusade stuff, which is also cool. That's a setting of the game that I've never really got a chance to explore in Heresy 1.0 and I would really like to do that at some point. But here's the thing about fan-made content. Their, their stuff is nearly the length of a full additional core book at this point and it affects a lot of it affects a lot of different phases of the game so it's very possible that if you tried to walk into a gaming club with this rule set and said i want to play with these rules that the people you were you were opposite of would have no idea no idea at all what you're talking about and and really honestly it's kind of unfair to expect them to be able to now if your gaming club if your circle of friends decides to use these rules the Panoptica team has put together rules for like m most of the named characters that show up in the Heresy novel series, nearly all of them anyway. So they've got a way to represent your favorite character if you are interested in doing so. And I think that's pretty fun and that's pretty cool. But the biggest thing is that not everyone has seen these rules, not everybody knows what they are, and not everybody agrees with the idea of modding the game in this way or adding an extension onto this game. So really what it comes down to is you need to decide what makes the game the best for you and your friends because chances are most of the gaming that you get done will be the buddies that you have around you. So what are people comfortable with? What are they interested in? That's going to be kind of up to you. We're going to get into the Centurion stuff now and we're going to talk about the next one on the list and that is the Delegatus. So the Delegatus is a mid-ranking Legion officer. Um, it's a Centurion tasked with a specific mission. And so basically it's like a, I don't know, like a force leader, a specific target leader. Basically, the this is just a, a Praetor Mini. Fun fact also, um, in all of the time that I've been playing this game, uh, I have called this, this, this Centurion a Delgatus, not a Delegatus, because I never read the name and saw the second E. So... Your boy, Ineptus Astartus, being inept at reading. Okay, but anyway, no special weapons, no special war gear attached, but a couple of special rules which are important to note. First of all, the Delegatus gains the Master of the Legion's special rule, but can be included in armies of less than 1,000 points. One of the basic principles of the Master of the Legion rule um, that is listed under the Praetor is the Few and the Proud, which says that an army may only include a maximum of one model with this special rule per 1,000 points. This counts across all detachments of an army. So an army that has at least 1,000 points can include one, 
and 2,000 point can two, and so on, etc. Okay, so it's very specific. If you're less than 1,000 points, you can't bring a Praetor, but you can bring a Delgatus. So you can get access to that right of war if you are running a smaller force, like a ZM force or something like that. If you're playing a 750-point game, something to that effect, and you really, 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 really want a right of war for whatever reason. However, a Delegatus cannot be in a detachment that includes a Praetor, a Cataphracti Praetor, a Tartarus Praetor, or a Primarch model, which makes sense because, you know, if the big official leaders of the Legion are there, the Delegatus has other places to be, handling the small stuff, working with smaller groups of people. Now, in addition to this, they also get the Rally of the Legion special rule, and this is where things get really interesting. The Rally of the Legion special rule says that once per battle, at the start of any of the controlling player's turns, this rule may be activated. Once activated, take a leadership test for this model. If passed, then all friendly units that are pinned or falling back and have at least one model that can draw a line of sight to the model with a special rule immediately rally and are no longer pinned or falling back and may act normally. Okay, this is potentially, this rule has a lot of potential for swinging a game. There is nothing worse in the games that I've played so far to see a unit start falling back and then push themselves essentially out of the game, regroup, and then they've got to wait a turn to really do anything or try to do anything to get back in the game. A model or unit that is falling back for the turn that it is falling back is essentially as good as dead. There are a lot of things that it just can't do effectively. So your ability to... If you have one unit that breaks at a time when you really need it, you've got the ability to press this button, and as long as the Delegatus can see this person, this unit, whatever, then you can put them back in the game. That's a really, really powerful ability. Now, the Delegatus is going to have the standard Centurion stat line, so they're not going to be like super, super durable or whatever. Um, they're not going to be super great fighters. So you might want to put them in with a unit that's going to protect them, but they've got the Master of the Legion rule, so you can actually put them in with an official retinue, like a command squad or something real thick and crazy like that, if you so wish. Now the question comes, how would you go about playing the Delegatus? So that is an interesting point, and let's take a look at the point values and, and what comes up one way or another. So the natural comparison for us to draw when we're talking about the Delegatus is to talk specifically about a Praetor. The Delegatus, the reason you want to bring it is to gain access to a right of war. Well, Praetors do that already, so why pick one over the other? A standard Legion Praetor comes in at 120 points for the regular model, while a Delegatus costs 60 points plus 25 points for the upgrade. So 85 points to 125 points. What does that extra 35 points get you? Turns out it's quite a lot. The Legion Praetor has a one higher weapon skill. It has a better uh, wounds characteristic, better attacks, better leadership, and it comes base with a 4 plus invulnerable save as opposed to the 5 plus that the Centurion gets. Now, the rest of the, all things told, um, the Praetor does have more weapon options than the Centurion does, but the point values that are consistent, the big stuff, Thunder Hammers, Power Weapons, all that stuff, that's the same cost. So there is no difference in the war gear between the two. So basically it's always going to come down to this 35 points difference. 
Now, interestingly enough, the ability to rally troops is not something that the Praetor gets to do, which is kind of interesting to me. You would think that would be an ability that even the Praetor would have if they were just trying to make it a mini just to reduce the stats or whatever, but regardless. So you have to weigh that out and decide what that means for you. Considerably better stats for 35 points, but the loss of a rally ability. Now, I know that the rally ability is not going to come up in every game that you play. It is not necessarily going to matter 100% of the time, but you could argue that the Praetor stats and difference are similarly going to be in the same boat. If you're playing a Legion where you're not planning on running a super um, heavy close combat unit that you're going to put your Praetor in, I think there's a real argument to make for just bringing a Delegatus. Now, in big games, it might not be particularly fluffy, but if you're going with a 1,000-point game, if you're going with a up to 2,000-point game, and you're just looking to save 35 points, I think that's totally a legitimate concept. Now, if you're playing an APOC game and... Uh, your um, one HQ choice leading there is essentially a, a glorified sergeant. Maybe maybe you've got some really cool lore to justify this. But there are a couple of models, I think, that would make really fun Delegatus. The Praetor for the Dark Angels, for example, with the old man head on it. That would be a really cool example. Staff sergeant or old middle-level officer kind of leading a small strike force or whatever. I think that's pretty fun. The Delgatus, in my book, a pretty good unit to use. Definitely something to consider depending on the point value of the games that you're going to play. Okay, next up we're going to talk about another one of those Centurions that you can either put into Terminator Armor or Artificer Armor, the Legion Herald. So the Legion Herald, it gains a couple of special rules and one interesting piece of war gear. Allegiant Herald gains the Fearless Special Rule and the Fear Special Rule. They also gain the Legion Standard for no additional point cost. They must exchange a Bolt Pistol, a Bolter, or a Combi Bolter for this item. So in layman's terms, this Legion Standard is essentially the big old banner that they're going to carry out to war. And your Standard Bearer, your Herald, by bringing this out, they are providing some pretty strong benefits to the army. So all of the controlling players' units with the matching Legion as a Stardust rule within six inches of a uh, friendly model with a Legion standard are considered to have a leadership characteristic of 10 when resolving morale checks or pinning tests, not psychic checks. In addition, all models in a unit that include a Legion standard gain the line subtype as long as they remain part of that unit, and it's lost immediately if they leave. Okay, so this is going to give line and have a really nice leadership buff. When you add on the Fearless ability that they give, and also Fear 1, which they are going to be debuffing your opponents with, the Herald has a lot of interesting utility. So here's the thing about the Herald, though, when you consider everything that it can do and, and what you want out of it. So why would you want to take a Herald? Well, maybe you have an opponent who tries to pin you a lot, and you want to put the Herald in the middle of things so that you can sort of provide a little bit of protection against that that pinning check. Okay, that's fine, that's fair. I'd still be worried about the Herald getting sniped out, which I can say because I have done this every time I've played against my friends and they brought Heralds. Regardless, moving on. 
you might also just really want to bring this character because it's a HQ model that you can attach to a squad and turn that squad into a scoring unit. So you got a big squad of Terminators or something the equivalent and you really want to be able to park it on the objective and, you know, bringing the Herald along makes them fearless and also gets them scoring. Not bad. Not bad at all, really. The interesting cost or or the thing or element here is the, is the cost. A standard Centurion being 60 points. The Herald is a pretty cheap upgrade with only 20 points, but you only really get the standard and the rules. You're going to still want to outfit them with weapons, gear, whatever else. If you are trying to make a troop... Uh, scoring and you want to be out there in the middle of the field mixing it up with your opponent then you probably want to give the herald some sort of weapon or way to defend themselves now funnily enough i'm just thinking here i mean maybe you want to use the fearless on a squad that you really really don't want to run off the board i don't know maybe you put the legion herald with a heavy weapon squad or something and then you don't even necessarily have to worry about you know uh, putting points into it to make it stronger or better, because it's really it's just there to provide a to provide a little bit of a buff to leadership and hold an area, and it's going to stay out of combat. That's that's kind of a tempting idea, honestly, with the herald because it is going to get you scoring, and so maybe you've got your you know last cannon team, and you're able to place a an objective right on the edge of your deployment zone, so you can steal it with the last cannon team, and you score points progressively through the game. Not a bad little trick. The biggest thing is that all of the buffs of the Herald go away if the Herald is killed, and like I said, I feel like Heralds are kind of a hate magnet, at least in the games that I've played with them, and for just a few points more, you can buy just a 10-man tactical squad that is also scoring, and you don't necessarily have to care too much what happens to it, because... I mean, you're going to probably use the tactical squad to bait a response out from your opponent. If that's the case, is the Herald really worth it? Well, yes and no. Yes, because it's cool to take the opportunity to plan out and fashion a big, sweet banner to go with your force. The Herald, if you make one up for yourself for this case, you can also think about making it into a Herald for a command squad. Use the same model or whatever else. So if you've got an Praetor that you want to follow around with it, you know, you, you still have that choice. There are cheaper ways to get scoring into things, but thematic-wise, rules-wise, there's definitely some options and some power there, but it may not always be backed up by the cost. A couple of just final notes before we end the episode today. Um, thank you, of course, to everyone who has purchased a t-shirt and made, and made donations to the little fundraiser we're doing for uh, Hannah, um, I think it's a good way for us to honor David's memory, and I really appreciate that. Link, again, is going to be in the show notes below. Second of all, it is January, end of January. We're only like a month and a half away from Adepticon. If any of you are like me, you're looking forward to and getting excited about the push for Beta Garmin, don't be forgetting to get those games in so you can contribute to the campaign and so you can uh, you know, have a part in the story as it goes forward. Last but not least, I, the, the, the well is running dry here a little bit, folks. I need some more listener questions. We're scraping by. Uh, don't forget to reach out. I would really love to help you with things. Ineptusastartus 30 k at gmail.com. I would really, really love to hear from you going forward. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful end of January and a very productive hobby season going forward. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.